Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. The World Cup is underway. Soccer90.com is your place to get all the World Cup gear, all the U.S. national team gear, everything you could want, jerseys, balls, jackets, scarves, you name it. And all Third Degree listeners get 20% off when you order at Soccer90.com and use the code ThirdDegree. That's Soccer90.com. Well, hello, FC Dallas curious fans. My name is Buzz Carrick. I think most of y'all probably know my voice by now uh, and with me today on this uh, interesting kind of uh, taped together version of the podcast. This is episode 187, by the way, is uh, my good English friend, Dan Crook. Dan, how are you doing? Ah, you know, just enjoying another World Cup day. Yeah. You sound a little sick, my friend. Are you all right? I've been a little bit under the weather. Thankfully, yeah. later, I'm sure you'll tape it together to make it sound like I'm better. Yeah. Well, we're not going to do a whole lot here with Dan and I because we have the second half of the podcast um, from last week with uh, Owen Newkirk filling in for Peter when uh, the three of us uh, broke down all the roster moves. And we'll get to that in just a second, the second half of that um, podcast uh, to fill up most of this hour. But before we do that, Dan... Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the World Cup from an FC Dallas perspective. And there's two games that, in particular that I think you can, as an FC Dallas fan, look at because of uh, the coach that we have here, uh, Nico Estevez, and the system that FC Dallas plays. And the first one of those is the U.S. men's national team, where he was an assistant before he came to FC Dallas, who, for the most part, play the same system. Now, I would contend, and I think we saw this in the first game that when Josh Sargent is in there, it's less like FC Dallas plays unless Frank O'Hara is in the game. It's more like FC Dallas plays when you have a real false nine like Jesus. But can you take some similarities, Dan, from the game, the opening game against Wales that you can apply to FC Dallas, do you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, I think, you know, even talking about Sargent, um, you know, you saw elements of him trying to get back, not really, not really having that part of his game as a as a pressing forward as uh, as Jesus is, but uh, you know at least kind of flailing and attempting to uh, to to do those those aspects. Um, beyond that, um, you know, you were looking at you know a typical, uh, particularly that that Welsh game. You were looking at something that FC Dallas has had to deal with quite a lot, which is teams trying to sit back and. Encounter where they can bog down, uh, bog up the the kind of middle of the field. Um, you know that that would be definitely be a good study uh, for FC Dallas, even without a single FC Dallas player featuring in the game. Yeah, the goal came when they were able to get the Wales to come out a little bit, and they turned them over at midfield. Um, one of the reasons, as you say, that I sort of thought, or I, I wasn't about to predict that Jesus was going to start, but I suggested I felt he should start was that. Uh, Jesus has, has got the that game that you talk about that a game predicated on movement, a game predicated on pulling center box out of position. I think those things can be really helpful in a little block, particularly when you play the U.S. system, which is the same as FC Dallas system, that's built very heavily on slashing uh, runs from the wings to attack the gaps, uh, and even from the eights to attack the gaps that are created by Jesus' movement. And Sargent had one really nice play where he came back and laid the ball off. You know, as when he checked back between lines, well, that's Jesus's bread and butter. Yeah, I, I kind of feel um, 
Jesus is stuck, whether it does or doesn't. Uh, it should have risen even without him playing, just for the fact that uh, when you look ahead to the challenges that England pose, the the shortfalls really lean more towards Jesus's game uh, compared to Wales than uh, really I think anyone else is in that kind of uh, set of forwards for the the US men's national team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, Berhalter adjusts to the guy that we both think better fits his shape, or if he sticks with Sargent under this idea that they floated that Sargent knows these players from Wales and England. Well, he doesn't, so he he doesn't know those players. He plays in the championship, so he doesn't play with those players at all. Yeah, why does Berhalter even say that then? Because he's just talking about England as as a thing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I do think that Jesus makes more sense. Uh, I, I, again, didn't see enough from Wright to make that think that that's working, uh, that he's even more static than Sargent. Um, it's it's confusing sometimes what's going on with the national team. Yeah, bringing, bringing Haji Wright into the game was very much like bringing Frank O'Hara in. Um, you know, a guy with a bit more physical stature that you hope can win some headers, but ultimately he doesn't really do a whole lot. Now, the other team that is playing in this World Cup that I think even more so resembles what SC Dallas would like to play, it's a stretch to say it's the same because of the quality of their players, is Spain. Because in particular, Spain even more so uses a false nine, uh, more similar to FC Dallas. You know, somebody I saw a couple people referring to today as a nine-less system. I don't think I would go that far. I think it's definitely you know, a, a, some version of a false nine or, or, or a player that's at least trying to attempt to replicate that kind of thing. And obviously when you watch them play, they were so good against Costa Rica, it's really hard to take anything away from that game. Other than um, something I thought people really talked about a lot today with Spain was this, something that we actually talked about a lot in Luchi Ball, um, which was the possession is fine as long as you have purpose with it. In particular, Spain, uh, to me today, watching them, they pass the ball around and possess the around for a long time. And then when they see these moments of exploitation, they go forward really quickly with the ball, short passing, ticky-tacky kind of play, like Dallas does, with aggressiveness, with the verticality component, with a, with a get-forward-quick kind of component. Um, not an over-the-top component, but a get-forward-quick. And that's something Dallas does too. So while, again, not the same quality of players and not the same amount of possession, Still, there's some flavors there in terms of the way the system works. And, and maybe that's a team that our coach here would want to inter- emulate even more than the U.S. is the Spanish team. Yeah, I mean, a, a Spanish coach, why wouldn't he want to emulate his uh, his his home nation? Um, yeah, I think when you look at Spain, I, I feel like they're like Barcelona. They kind of uh, fall victim a little bit to people remembering the high points and kind of considering that as the the overall game plan uh, you know when you talk about the the nineless formation uh, that 2010 team with Cesc Fabregas sitting as the as the false nine 100% nineless it, it was the you know it was the uh, the, the birth of the modern fo- false nine um, that's not what they have now you know they do that they do certainly have more of an attacking, of a traditional attacking presence, which does borderline more into what, what FC Dallas does with, with Jesus, uh, with Paul Ariola, with um, Alan Velasco. Yeah, I, th- I think when you look at Asensio, who was playing ostensibly that sort of center strike of position today, you know, wearing the 10 jersey, you know, he does play, 
he doesn't play high. He plays sort of seemed like a flat line with Olmo and Torres on the outsides. And it, to me, it was very reminiscent of the way FC Dallas tries to play, you know, with um, guys all trying to hit that gap from various positions, you know, even watch Gavi blow into that spot three or four times too. Um, you know, I, I, I sat there watching that thing and I go, Oh, now I see what our coach Nico wants to do. <laughs> and it was, uh, obviously it's an aspirational level of play, but, um, and of course, go ahead. I think as well, um, you know, if you talk about like Spain's play and that being the kind of end goal for FC Dallas, you have to look at a player like Sergio Busquets and say, you know, that that's your six, that's your, your one touch anchor that everything goes through. And that is the player that, you know, you wanted, um, Carlos Grosso to be, uh, granted, you know, they got, a, they got a lot of money for him. Great. That's the player that you wanted, uh, uh, Tiago Santos to be, but then they got an, a good offer for him. The player that they kind of hoped Faku could somehow be, you know, that when we say that the six is arguably the most important position in the team, Spain is the perfect example of why. Yeah, I was watching that game today, just absolutely admiring uh, Busquets and, and how he plays and thinking to myself that exact same thing that as much as I think Evan Surreal has a future here, you can see what a truly world-class six does for you. You know, their whole front five other than him are so freed up by his ability to progressively pass, move away from pressure. You know, he, he's got attributes that Faku and Surreal, if you combine them together, still wouldn't quite reach that level. But, um, you know, that ability to link the back to the front, the ability to escape out to the sides, you know, and then none of that do we talk about his defensive. It's not like you watch him run around the field tackling everybody. Just, he's always in the right place turning plays back and, and keeping the whole offense uh, in, in check. And and I was watching that game today thinking to myself, man, if if you really wanted to upgrade this FC Dallas side, if you had dropped a player into that spot of – now, obviously, that caliber is ridiculous. Now it's going to afford somebody like that. But if you had a someone that MLS can, teams can't afford, like like the nature of Bradley or like the nature of um, uh, some of these other um, – good American maybe, or if you have to go in the farm market, Grezzo certainly was a good example. You know, um, there's been plenty of guys that have been relatively expensive in this league that have done that job and can do it at that level. And it would really change FC Dallas, I think, considerably. Um, the problem of doing something like that, of course, as you know, is the $800,000 you're on the hook for for Faku. You would almost have to buy him out in order to make a move in that spot. Uh, I don't think you could get anything for him unless you could sell him to South America on the cheap or something. But um, that salary would be very, very difficult to get anybody to take, particularly um, someone not in a league of the profile of at least MLS who could afford that kind of deal. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, I guess it would depend on what you'd be looking for to, you know, in, in terms of a destination. Uh, you know, not every player needs to make the same money if there's uh, other benefits to you know, a preference of where they live or, or, or something along those lines. But uh, all the same, you know, a, a pretty tough obstacle uh, to go, to overcome in, at least in the short term. All right. Uh, I think that probably wraps up the discussion we have on the World Cup for FC Dallas. Again, if you're an FC Dallas fan and you, you want to try and think about FC Dallas and how they play, the U.S., obviously, Spain, obviously, play the very, very similar in terms of both the coach, having been with the national team, having been – and be, having being from Spain and being from those kinds of systems, those are the obvious two models to look at. 
All right, we're going to now play the second half of the roster moves breakdown between my, myself, Owen Newkirk, and Dan Crook. And then at the end of that discussion, Dan and I will be back to uh, say goodnight and thanks for listening to the podcast. All right, so let's go to Benny Redzich, who really kind of surprised everybody because he missed almost an entire year due to injury. And I saw him a lot uh, when he was around the team during that recovery where he was sort of like hobbling around and just trying to sort of stay involved even though he wasn't able to play. And that had to be a miserable time for a young player. As you said, Buzz, young players have to play and he's out with an injury. Yep. Those things happen, but it's mentally an awful period to go through because it's very lonely and you really don't feel like you're part of the team even when you're part of the team. But he recovered and really ingratiated himself very well with Nico Estevez. We all, I think, were a little surprised at how much the coach really liked him. And I kept hoping for when he got those opportunities, he, you know, he made his debut, got a couple minutes here, got a couple there, that there was something where he could really shine. And I think uh, I'm trying to remember now because they all blur together after a while. Was it L.A. Galaxy where he had the breakaway and he looked like he wanted to be anywhere but taking that shot? I think it was late in the. Uh, I think it home. was an LA team. Yeah, I don't remember. Which it, one it, was. it was either Galaxy or LAFC. Obviously, those are the two choices. But I, I, I want to say it was against Galaxy, and Dallas had a good lead, and he got sent free on a, a through ball down the right side into the box, and the goalkeeper swallowed it up uh, as he took the shot, and it just didn't look like that uh, confident swagger kind of a finish of a guy like Jesus or Pepe or somebody that just knows what he's going to do and buries it. And I was really hopeful because it was the end of the game. There was nothing to lose. And wouldn't it have been great for Benny to score on a break like that? The Toyota Stadium would have erupted. They would have been thrilled. And maybe that helps vault him to the next level. And that next step in attack, just plenty of work rate, guys. But I never really saw that next step. Yeah, this was actually the most surprising cut for me because, as you say, Coach loves him some Benny. He lamented to me a couple of times that he had failed to get Benny the playing time that he thought Benny deserved and really lamented that he didn't get the kid more PT. So I was really surprised they cut him. Now, for me, Benny is rolling the maw. He's 88 minutes of what the hell is he doing and then two goals. Ah, <laughs> uh, Lamar. Yeah, so I never thought Benny should have been a homegrown. He always, to me, was uh, real up and down in the academy. Moments of greatness and then a whole lot of nothing. He got signed to a homegrown deal. I would have preferred a North Texas deal. And then over time, I saw enough progression for, for him that I was like, okay, he's up to the talent of the FC Dallas training. He can score these spectacular goals. But in the end, I just don't see uh, a complete enough player that I want him to start. There's too much, what the hell are you doing when you watch him play? even though he has capable of these one-on-one -on -one moments. I do wonder now, though, if Benny, I've heard him of him talking to people as the season wound down and we got into the offseason. I've heard him expressing uh, understanding that the playing the kids was kind of waning a bit. Now, we've, we've said maybe it's not just playing any kids, it's just playing these particular kids. For whatever reason, Benny's not getting playing time, and he's recognizing that. He's recognizing they're going out and getting Sebastian Legette. So I'm curious, and I don't know who to ask, but I probably will try and figure it out eventually, that Benny asked to be let go, because I heard discussion of Benny's going, wants to go to Europe, Benny wants to go to Europe. 
well before they actually decline his option. So he's going to go over there and try and find himself a spot. He does have that Bosnian passport, which is not EU, but he does have, you know, a background that fits into that, some of those profiles and, and probably has some connections through family or whatever. So again, based on the coach's evaluation and likes of him, I'm surprised they cut him, which is why I do have this not cut decline his option which is why I do wonder if maybe he has to go. Um, if there was a mutual decision there. If it was a mutual kind of one, because we're not privy to those conversations. It could be they sat in the meeting, and he's like, hey, listen, I got to go, guys. And that they like him enough that they were like, okay, we respect that. Now, I, I don't think he's good enough, so that's part of it for me. But, um, you know, it, a guy that I think just never was a complete enough player to help your team, another guy that needs to go play a boatload of games somewhere. Dan, when we were looking at forwards and you have Jesus Ferrer, who had a phenomenal season, and then Franco Hara, who for any deficiencies actually grew on me, especially this year because of his professionalism and ability to go out and be physical and be more of a holdup guy. Yes, he likes to float and go for the ball too much, but it seemed like they were missing a nine that could come in and spell Jesus and be more mobile than Franco Hara and create some opportunities and it did, didn't really feel like benny was that guy no he, he had one game where he came in as more of an attacking midfielder and, and kind of got engaged uh you know i think maybe he you know may, maybe buzz is right and, and he's kind of asked for his release uh maybe he's just kind of a victim of of the relative success of fc dallas uh, you know, in year one, kind of getting up to third place in the West, getting to a conference semi-final, maybe that makes them need to be a little bit more cutthroat and not have the time to sit around and wait for Benny to develop. When you know you likely have uh, Mulatto coming in uh, after his loan from uh, Deportivo Cali to North Texas, uh, you've got Tariq Scott coming in. You've got Bernard Kuminga who can play up front as well as on the wing. You know, you've you've got a host of of attacking options who who do display pace a little bit more strength than than Benny has a little bit more presence, a little height. Um, you know, and and that may that in addition to just that notion of hey, now we need to actually make more use of the uh, the supplemental slots 21 through 28 that that he finds himself as the odd man out. Now, that's a great point you mentioned about Bernard Camongo. I was absolutely ecstatic to watch this kid progress through this year because not only is it a great story, but he gets on the field and he provided that darting burst that you didn't see from a lot of the depth on your attacking line and also some skill and some soccer IQ that maybe some of the guys that have pace off the bench don't possess. And it was only a shame that he picked up the injury that he did at the time he did because he was definitely going to get some more time as the attacking second option at right wing and or or on the left is you know buzz you've said it many times you like think that they're pretty interchangeable or at least they should be if they want to be a top level winger and clearly Kamungo moved ahead of Redzic almost as soon as he was he was signed to FC Dallas. Yeah, we've seen Kamungo play right, left, and as the nine 
for North Texas. And in the 20 minutes he got with FC Dallas, we saw more from him than we've seen from almost anybody else that's played wing. How about but, the whole list of guys that we've yeah. mentioned that have been declined today? We just went through all of them, and he did more in 20 minutes than all those guys. Yeah, the only guy that did more wing than him was Obreon. Like the minute he signed, in my mind, he was fourth on the depth chart at wing. And then I you're right, he got he got hurt. So not a guy who had his option declined. He was a guy that was signed, but you know, he's he guys like him and guys coming in from the academy. You know, I, I've talked before about this little gap that we just went through. Well, now it's time for a couple more homegrooms to come in. So those the pressure from the bottom, pressure from the top when Legette's coming in, pressure from North Texas. This is the real progression. North Texas into the first team. Mulatto and Camungo are going to contribute. Guys signing out of the academy, Norris, Tariq Scott, these guys are going to be at North Texas. They're not going to be in the first team. The way this coach runs the bench, not going to be in the first team. And that's Camungo, okay. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine because they're both 17. Those signings are really for – they're going to graduate high school in the summer. <laughs> they're going to spend crazy, a lot of time with it? North Texas. They might even play a bunch for the Academy through Dallas Cup, through the summer uh, big major tournaments for the United That's fine. Paxson and Jesus, Brandon, those guys all went down and played Academy games after they had signed homegrown deals. That's fine. North Texas for those guys. That's fine. Camungo is now 20, going on 21. Milato, same thing, 20. You're looking at guys that have minutes, that have a bunch of first-team training. Those are the dudes that are going to come in and eat up these minutes that that the other dudes weren't getting, and they're going to get into the rotation and maybe extend that rotation just a little bit, or they're going to kick other guys out of the rotation. But um, you know, those are guys that are not part of this decline pickup conversation other than they're sh- pushing guys down. The next one is a guy that has a lot of history with FC Dallas and with this third degree podcast, and that's Thomas Roberts. And I know this was tough, guys, because we've always watched him and go, and we all know that he has something elite in there in his quality. We've seen it. It's just a matter of finding the right position on the field, the right manager that likes his style of play and have it all come together at the same time. And it just didn't seem to have those planets aligned for him. He got absolutely wrecked against Tigrace and, and stayed in the game. I thought he was killed during that play. Uh, but I was really excited to watch him in that friendly against the Mexican side because it was an opportunity for him to show Nico that he deserved a chance to be a, a secondary option off the bench at a time where the first team was pretty well established, but there was a lot of room for improvement in the substitutes, and it just didn't quite work out for Thomas, did it? Yeah, this guy, this kid for me is the best on-ball touch dribble passer that's ever come out of the academy. He is, uh, there are coaches that at FC Dallas, I think he's a truly special talent. I think you can look at that Tigris game and you can see that they instantly recognized that he was the most dangerous player in that midfield. And they proceeded to crunchingly foul him all over the field. They gave him the messy treatment, didn't they? Yeah, they they did. Um, Now, again, you have to look at, there's been now three different coaches, head coaches, including one that had him in the academy where he used to dribble through the entire team all the time that have not chosen to play him very much at all or at all. So they're obviously... Now, he is a player that's converting from 10 to trying to be an 8 or a false wing. Nobody really uses those pure 10s anymore. Again, 10, like the striker, like the winger. Man, that is a really, really hard spot to break in. That's where people spend millions of dollars 
on your Jerusis or your Maro Diaz's, right? Your your Oscar Perez when he came here. But way how back about in the Minnesota? Day. They went out and got Reynoso. Reynoso, he's their playmaker. Yeah. You can look at any like as Matt Doyle says when he does his draft things. Number tens to look at in college, none. He just doesn't even list anybody because my no favorite in MLS is Hani Mukhtar. Yeah, these are. This is not where. This is extraordinarily difficult position for an academy kid to break in. I I love this kid so much, and I'm so bummed. But it's been three years since he played. So even if you thought, I still think this kid's got all the talent in the world, just let him go, man. Just let him go play. Let him go find his game, find his joy, find whatever it is, get back on the field. You know, even if you thought there's still value in him, even if you thought, I hate to lose him, you owe it to him to let him loose and try and save his career. Because if you keep him here and don't play him more, he's done. You got to let him go play. It's, I, I'm actually really thankful that they didn't, because they had another option on him. They could have held him. You know, they could have said, someone will pay us for this kid. It won't shock me to see somebody grab him. It won't shock me to see him in Europe in a, a week and a half or a month, you know. You know, Dan, there's an irony here where there was almost a 10 role for him a year ago when Pepe was playing as the striker and Jesus was playing in sort of that attacking eight almost pure 10 role and thomas was overseas and if he was available he could have maybe been a bench option coming on for jesus behind a pure striker role but it just again didn't line up did it no and uh, i think you know even that was as nice as i would have been to see he then kind of has to beat out the idea of uh of Hara uh, coming in for Pepe instead of, uh, you know, maybe pushing Jesus up because, mm-hmm. you know, certainly at the time with uh, Lucci, Jesus was kind of his his go-to guy. Um, but um, to, to Buzz's point, the, the 10 tradition, the traditional 10 is kind of falling away a little bit unless you are a truly elite talent it's a hard position to break through in uh, we're seeing a lot of players who are having to break through in another position and kind of move into that role uh, it's just it's a little disappointing that you know we've we've kind of known for four years that his his best shot again in the lineup was not in that position and there really hasn't been a, a ton of advancement there whether that's um, down to the player, down to the coaches, down to the, uh, you know, the the mutual decision on the loan and the circumstances that came of, of the system that where they ran in uh, Klagenfurt. Uh, he, you know, I think if you lined up every, every uh, homegrown player across MLS, he's probably the one that's had the most bad luck in terms of career progression all right two more to go as we continue our in memoriam for players having their contract options decline (laughs) and one that i'm not surprised at all and maybe the most disappointing signing although buzz you did last week uh, give him some positive words toward the end of the season and into the playoffs and that's nanu i think when you hear a big portuguese club player in his prime late 20s and you see a position of need, you think this could be really good. And while I do understand why you saw some optimism toward the end of the season, I thought it it fell really short. Look, nice guy, friendly, 
you could see he, on the ball he clearly had something, but it wasn't nearly what this team needed. Yeah, I think the the value at the end of the year was found by the coaching staff that they found a way that he could be useful to the team and didn't just send him packing. But in terms of the amount of money that he was costing, the international spot, the fact that he came from Porto, those are all things that said he should have been a much, much better player than he was. Now, I will go back to the preseason again and point out that I flat out said this is a bad signing <laughs> because why is a t- club, if the guy is so good, why is a club like Porto dumping him when he's had these injury problems? And he's he now COVID. third. On the, yeah, there's now third on the death chart at their club. This is a dude they're dumping, right? Why are you paying a bunch of money? Turned out to be, what is it, 800, I think? Maybe it's six something, 800 something, somewhere in that window, whatever. It's above the DP line. Why are you spending that kind of money on a guy that's being dumped by a club that is not in a top five league? Right? Porto, yes. Everyone loves to talk about how great Porto is. That league's not that good. Porto's good. The league is terrible. So for them to be dumping a player, to me, a guy in the prime of his career, theoretically, I think that's that's exactly the wrong kind of loan that you want to do. Turns out to be exactly right. He couldn't beat out Emmanuel Masi, who's trying to convert to right back. So complete bust of a move. Applause for the guy for not faking an injury to get out of a game, (laughs) for continuing to work hard, continuing to come off the bench and provide actual value and try and be a contributing member of the team. Do you think there's going to be Edwin Jesse references for a decade to come on this podcast? I think I will never get tired of saying a guy, at least (laughs) he didn't fake his injury to get out of the game. But that's like the the floor of evaluating a player. Oh, I remember that well. It's hard to forget, isn't it? I couldn't believe it when I went to training like on Tuesday and I was I, I was looking at him and I was talking to Lucci and I pointed at him. I'm like, what the hell? And he's like, yeah, yeah he's not know. hurt. He's, he's fine. Not, yeah, we don't understand why he's fine today. Well, I he remember when play. he was yeah. subbed out and then saw him that next week and went, wow, he recovered awfully quickly. Did he recover by the time it was to walk into the locker room? He wasn't limping. <laughs> but the, look, I guess the, the thing is, and I don't know, Dan, if you think that I'm being too rosy colored glasses here, if Nanu, you went for that swing and hoped that maybe because he was injured and then sick that maybe Porto just dumped their problems, but there is still something to squeeze out of him. If that's the biggest miss of this past season as far as acquisitions and all the others were relatively hit or much, much better, then you have to think overall for the club that that's a pretty good grade out, isn't it? I think so. Uh, you know, he was the, the very typical FC Dallas low risk high reward um signing you know looked the part at maritimo maybe took the move to porto when he shouldn't have uh split in time in his first season you know had the two or two or two bouts with covid had that uh neck and headed injury had a couple of had a little bit of bad luck and then suddenly instead of splitting time uh with one player he split in time with two uh since he you know, obviously wasn't a, a reliable option for them. Uh, for him, you know, the chance to maybe, you know, improve his national team stakes with Guinea-Bissau, maybe get a little bit, you know, prove something to Porto or to find his way into uh, a move to somewhere else. I mean, MLS is 
probably a better shop window than Portugal these days. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone anyone lost out from it, um, but a little bit disappointing. Um, you you would have hoped for a little bit more success, and uh, Emma Tumasi, you know, didn't exactly excel, but did enough to to win the starting job. Uh, we'll point out Buzz also kind of called Marco Farfana bust of a signing before season two. <laughs> did I? You did. You said uh, Parker oh, we need receipts for this. from like 10 games in. Oh, no. I, I didn't say that Marco was a bust. I said <laughs> I thought Parker was fantastic and that he would get 10 games uh, of play by the end of the season. Uh, That's not the same as... you th- saying he wasn't a starter-level player. A Marco? Yeah. I don't think I said that. I'll have to check the tape. You'll have to go We're find that We're definitely going to have to throw the challenge flag yeah. and actually hear it. Um, so, I mean, I guess from my angle, I, I don't mind the effort because at least you have a, an adequate right back in Emo Tomasi. I, I don't want to disparage Emo's play, but there's definitely... <laughs> you said Emo Tomasi. Yeah, almost said Emo, didn't I? Yeah, so Emo definitely is a fine right back, and he is pretty good at protecting the ball. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten into more of the attacking side of it since he played farther up the field in previous iterations before becoming the right back for FC Dallas. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't as though that they had to supplant him as the biggest need for that, the club this year. I, I think a lot of that is just system. You know, he, he's, he's working under a coach that has a much greater defensive responsibility for the outside backs. Again, we talked about the support setup, you know, stability across the back, even when you're progressing forward, you know, he's not being asked to be a Brian Reynolds vertical guy you know when he was in san antonio he led that team in chances created some of that was playing as a right wing but some of it was playing as a right back you know he had a very vertical kind of uh responsibility when he was first started playing some right back under lucci again lucci liked the double wings flying very vertical outside responsibility very much get forward well he's got to relearn it because he's that's not what this coach wants he spent a lot of time and effort working on his individual defending and he got a lot better at it He's still not elite at it, but he's a lot better than he was before. And I think you could look at his play over the course of the season. You could see him trying to find a balance. You know, we'd like to see more from him offensively. Yes, absolutely. But they're not asking him to get to the end and cross. They're asking him to be underneath and filling in when the eight vanishes up into the box. You need to be filling that space. That's a different kind of responsibility than he's done before. Now, he's played a little bit of that. He's played a little bit of wing. You know, both sides. So he's got a lot of versatility in him. You could use him in other spots. But, um, you know, he, you definitely don't look at, I don't look at him as a massive problem by any means. Outside back is not a position that this organization generally, prior to Nanu, spends a lot of money. They tend to think outside back is 250, 300, 350, and that's kind of it. You know, that's kind of where Ryan always really was in terms of salary. That's where Farfan kind of is. That's where Tuamasi kind of is. It's kind of where they want him to be. So um, not a liability by any means. You know, room for progression. Yeah, room to improve. Like, you know, young enough that he's got some time to still get better. You know, he's not anywhere, you know, near. I mean, he's still 25-ish. You know, got another you know, year and a half maybe, maybe two years at most to sort of progress himself still. So useful squad player. Not everybody can be elite. Somebody's got to be middle of the pack. Well, the final guy on the list is Yosue Quinones, which 
Uh, we changed the way we said his name a couple times until we actually heard him do his video pronunciation and went, oh, it's Yosue. So <laughs> I really liked him. He was a very pleasant young man. Um, uh, obviously, that's not uh, grounds for giving him an extension on his contract or anything. Uh, but guys, is this kind of another sign like we were talking about of the ambition of the club getting to another level because of the fact that there he seems certainly adequate of a young guy who could be molded he sort of had that versatility of center back can play a little right back and that's not a bad swing but if they're thinking about upgrading as we talked about earlier with the hedges situation and what are they going to do at center back maybe they just said okay we've seen enough to know that we're going to go to a higher tier i actually think the problem is that we don't know what the buy price is mm. Because if you're, if you're talking about like the fourth or fifth center back, I thought he was actually quite decent. You know, he showed that he could even play outside on both sides. You know, I thought he was just as good in terms of his displays as Justin Che ever was. You know, the, the problem is you don't know what the buy price would have been. You don't know what the contract would have cost you to bring him back. So it's very difficult to analyze what it was that cost him. International spot, escalating salary, Yes, you have to go. We're going to go out and spend some money at center back. Well, you know, if his number was going to go up to like three or four or five or something when you actually bought him, because he is U22 initiative now, that's the Shun slot. That's not super budgety. That's supposed to be prospect. I think you're talking about a guy who already has a cap with his national team. You know, there is some ability there. I think that there's a squeeze out because if I'm going to have to go get one center back and I'm still trying to bring Hedges back, you know. I, how much money am I spending at center back? I can't afford to go spend the buy it's going to take. I mean, if the buy was a million and that million comes onto your cap, remember we talked about that earlier in the show, right? The, the, the buy money comes onto the cap. You can sort of prorate it out, but that's still a big cap hit trying to get that buy in there. So without knowing what it was, it's going to be really impossible to evaluate that. Purely on talent, I would have brought it back. I thought he was a good piece, but... We can't, unless somebody will talk about it, one of the teams will talk about it, which I seriously doubt they will, um, it'll be impossible to know whether it was the right call or not. And Dan, I, we've heard Buzz say a lot about the fact that Nico doesn't really want to carry a bloated roster, let alone even just a, a full roster, because he thinks that's a little high. That could be another one is just trying to keep it relatively trim for how many players he has in camp. Yeah, 100%. Uh... Yeah, we can talk about the the buy, and the buy is certainly uh, an important factor. But uh, let me pull up how many games he actually played. It was what seven. It was seven. seven enough. Yep. Okay, he didn't have quite the whole season, but that's uh, that's not a lot. <laughs> no, you know, only ninety four minutes. But you know, that's that's more games than Majoma Khalil. You know, more games than Jimmy Bauer. <laughs> you know, that's. That's right on the edge of that, of, of enough games to be sort of, I mean, Sebastian Legette, only 10, late season, you know. Basically, like, those guys are all those two below 200-minute guys that we all thought said those are, they, they canned all of them. You know, we thought maybe they would keep Benny, maybe they might keep Kenyonis, and you have to look at what some of the outside factors were. You know, you just didn't get enough from him. He didn't get into the rotation enough, you know. If he could have supplanted Nanu earlier in the season in terms of getting some of those minutes, 
you know, uh, maybe he would have been kept around. But again, we just didn't know the buy. You know, the U22 initiative is supposed to be a pretty high caliber player, and we just didn't quite see enough relative to what it probably would have cost to keep him. You know, well, it's also supposed to be a pretty high dollar player. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think. Do we? I don't think we knew what his uh, salary. I don't think he was on the salary release, was he? Oh, let's look real quick. Was he late enough in the oh, year to was. bypass he was that? One hundred eighty thousand base. Yeah, that's a decent price. But that's the thing is, like, you don't know what that escalates to when you add the buy. That's the thing. Like, remember the Castillo example. He was a young DP, which means five six hundred thousand. I think it was even eight hundred thousand. Was I remember what the number was on him? Because he had like a hundred eighty five thousand dollars salary and a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars buy. So it's cap it. They put it all in one year. His cap it was like almost nine hundred thousand dollars. So he had to be a young DP. So Kenyonis could have been the same way for all we know. By the time you included the buy, it might have been crazy. And you're already trying to bring in hedges. You just can't. There's no room. Because there's a lot of speculation in there. We don't know. But, you know, you're talking about getting a guy from Barcelona SC, which is not the club in Spain. It's the club in down south. So, you know, they're expecting a fair chunk of change from a guy they consider to be one of their up-and-coming talents. All right. So that concludes the list of players who did not have their contract options picked up by FC Dallas for 2023 i think we gave a pretty extensive farewell to everyone except for we hope i think matt hedges but there is one more item before we conclude this episode of third degree and that buzz is a part that i'm always amazed at because i like to think that in covering the team and doing the broadcast i have a pretty good handle on the first team and some of the guys coming through either homegrowns that are playing at north texas or guys that have gone on loan but the academy is an animal that i know very little about i got a little bit in the last couple of years doing some dallas cup finals but you sir have the treasure trove that i don't even try it's it's like uh it's like guys that are getting ready for the nhl draft i'm gonna wait till they get drafted and then you know come to camp and then we'll see what they have what can you tell everybody about Tariq scott and nolan norris who just became and this is the number that really it always impresses me the 34th and 35th homegrown contracts for fc dells which in their release they mentioned equals the record for rsl yes uh the i've been talking for a couple years about there was a little bit of a gap where the 2004s weren't great and then a little bit of a bubble coming with 05 and 06 um, which is a bubble of the amount of players who could be professionals there's not a peppy in there but there's definitely some serious talent um and the the problem is for all these kids is that there really is only room at SC Dallas for maybe one or two homegrowns a year. You know, if you get one of them early, you might get like a 2003 class, which has like four or five in it because some of them came out early. But if you look at the way the roster is constructed and we have a feature called roster dance on our website that shows you all the slots, there really is only room for these two guys on the bottom. This is really going to be it. These two guys are signed. They're both in the class of 2005 and they're both graduating next summer, the, the 2023 from high school. So really, these are signings for this upcoming season. They're 17 years old, but they're both U19s. They're both in their only season they're going to play as U19s. So this is the Dallas waiting for kids to be graduating high school before they sign them, rather than 
they did with Brian Reynolds where they signed him at 15 years old out of the his first season of the U17 team, or they did with Pepe as well. These are, they're kind of waiting more now. So Tariq Scott um, is a little bit of a late bloomer in that he really clicked in his first season at the U17 level, um, dominated at that level, led the team in scoring, won the golden boot at the MLS uh, playoffs, the DA playoffs that year. Uh, the next year, which would have been his second year at the U17, they just moved him up to the 19s, and he again led the 19s in scoring. So he's been the most dangerous player, um, and he is again right now because he's still a U19. He's been the most dangerous goal scorer for basically three seasons now in the academy. Uh, he scored a brace in his first game with North Texas, coming off the bench. He is a player that can play as a nine, but he... I think is better as a wing. He is a um, similar sort of physical shape as Brian Reynolds, but not as tall. Lanky, about 5'11", I think right now. Remember, he's only 17, so he still could grow a little bit. Very, uh, very quick, very direct kind of attacking, slashing. I think if if he turns into the player, I think he could be, I think he could be looking at a Jeff Cunningham level of talent, like that level of goal scorer. He needs a little bit of polish in the box on his final decision-making, but that'll come with pro experience. He has all the other tools and he dominates uh, in the academy games, um, both physically and soccer smarts on the attacking end of the field. Most people that you talk to that scout the academy would tell you that he's the most interesting player in the top couple of age brackets. He's never quite broken into the youth national team because again, you're talking about nines and wings. This is super high caliber talent levels. He's always been just barely right outside that. Like, so again, he's not peppy, not going to Europe at 18, but still he's the one that Byron asked to come to their Byron world um, team thing this winter uh, from FC Dallas. So that was kind of cool for him to get that. No one's ever done that for Dallas before. That's different than the, the training invite that happens. He got to do the thing Mulatto did, which is this reality show team where they have games and play other competitions and stuff. High level games. Excuse me. Not, it's not like, it's not like a game show. It's it's legit high level. They're not going out and playing some Sunday kick around park yeah, no. league team. No, no, no. This is legit. This is good worldwide scouting <laughs> that they're doing, and they invited him to come. So that tells you where his level is. His brother is at Tulsa. Um, Tariq would have been signing to go to Tulsa this next year. Um, his brother's a little bit shorter, also a good player, but not as good as Tariq. Now Nolan Norris is the one that gives me joy because Nolan Norris is a player who I first saw when he was 13 years old in the Dallas cup, uh, playing in the Dallas cup, super group, um, the super 14s. In fact, that, that newer U 14s level that they invented, uh, in, in line with the broadcaster to have that group be a strong group. And Norris is an interesting cat. He's a left footed player, by the way, an amazing leader, captain of the team. He, he owns a training and soccer skills company and he's 17 and he has for a couple of years. He hires other players in the academy to train kids <laughs> in the academy. Like At he's 17. like Scott Seeley and he's has been for a couple of years. That's the kind of kid he is. Wow. So on top of that, when I, for the first game I saw him, he looks, you know, you, you watch him play, he looks pretty decent and the ball comes over to him and he does something that makes my soccer brain go, oh, uh, oh, that was different. And then he's playing and the ball comes over again. And my brain went, 
oh, wow. And the third time it happened, my brain went, holy shit. And a tingle went down my spine <laughs> because he's, he's making decisions that don't match my expectation. One of the things I really like in players is when I'm watching the game, I'm watching a play. Okay, it's going to come over here. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. This guy's going to go over here. And then he would turn it or do something. And I would go, wait, what? What is he? Oh, my. Like that. Like that kind of soccer smart. And I was worried that they were going to coach it out of him because he's got such a unique uh, way of thinking about the game. But they didn't. He, he, he brought it in line with the play, but he still has it. He's got a really, really nice left foot, which is obviously worth a lot. Uh, I think if he if he only right now he plays left back, they've used him at six a little bit too. I think if he only plays left back, you're looking at a Marco Farfan level player in Major League Soccer, a defensive first, really solid, long career, capable starter. Now, if he continues to grow, right now they list him at five eleven. His dad's a couple inches taller than him. If he can get to be 6-1 or maybe 6-2, I think he could be an extraordinary center back, left center back, that will be in high demand and will be gone fast because he doesn't have this pure, like Brian Reynolds verticality. He's a more Marco Farfan like stable left back. But if you take that brain, that passing vision, and that left foot, and he happens to be 6-1, 6-2 at center back, all of a sudden, now you're talking about, oh my, right? So it'll be interesting to see where they progress him at. And it's really fun for me because it's rare that I see a player that uh, lights my soccer brain on fire like he did the first time I saw him. That's That rarely, rarely happens. Uh, and I, I was a little worried that because he didn't have the Brian Reynolds style down the field, the Reggie Cannon down the field, that like because of the way the club was with Lucci and and this desire for these flying outside backs that he wouldn't get the opportunity, you know, cause he's not like that. But now in this new regime, there is an opportunity there for them. And you've seen him get call-ups to the national team consistently. He was on the U19 team a bunch this last year. You know, he's progressing in his play and his, and again, it's the brain, it's the leadership and it's the all around ability. Um, a player that may just be a great MLS player for a decade or might depending on what happens with him physically, might become really extraordinary. Uh, and we'll see. He's got a little a couple of years before we figure out which way that's going to break, and it'll be interesting to see how the club uses him. Okay, but so a player I've been for you, so excited about for a long time. If he does take that growth step that you suggested in the hypothetical and becomes a target for growing him as a left center back as opposed to a, an outside back, yeah, how difficult is that to have your one of your homegrowns try to come up through the center of your defense because as we've seen even with a guy like Justin Che it's hard for a head coach at the first team major league soccer level to trust a really young inexperienced center back mm -hmm. when they have older more savvy veterans to call yeah. on as opposed to out on the uh, the, the outside back the, the right or left where they can at least have a hedges or a reto Ziegler 
to give them a little bit of cover and some talking during the game to to help coach it along you know that that's the big thing you see justin che play right back for you know a yep. long time where they went well he's a center back but we're putting him here because it's a spot we feel comfortable putting him on the field and i think he did really well considering he's really a natural center back yeah ken is, is that a path i mean obviously you you see something like chris richards and he becomes such high demand that he never actually plays for the first team but is is that an easy path to go because it seems like that's a harder way to go than than being a little safer out on the wing it is it is tough uh you can google this the one of the youngest players on average in the professional game is outside back one of the oldest on average that makes sense on break-in excuse me on when you break in is center back so it actually having the ability like justin jade did to play outside back allows you to develop and get up to the speed of the of the professional game and then over time, you progress towards the inside. Marco Farfan is a good, another example of a guy who can play some center back. He has done it, right? These kind of guys that like, th- this is the same thinking as when I said about Tanner Tessman, man, if he was a center back, he'd be worth $10 million. Ooh. Remember when Charles Hyman said of Breck Shea, man, if he was a center back, he'd be worth $10 million. Because of that physical size. Because of the size and the, the and when the you combine skills. the outs, the skills that the outside takes with the size and the soccer panache and put it in the middle, you're looking at the modern center back that's worth a crazy money. This is why some there were there were two or three camps where Brian Winnells went to like the U20 team or the U18 team and they played him at center back through the whole camp and then in games for this very reason. Hmm. A lot of people don't know about that because it was pretty low on the radar that that's what he was doing. So the same with Che. You play him on the outside for a couple of years and then you migrate him into the middle. It's a relatively smooth transition in a lot of ways, particularly like if you have this current system where it's not the modern, insane Zanetti, Brian Reynolds go. It's more of this, it's more of this stable and connected, you know, setup. Now also this is what North Texas is for, right? Maybe in first team training, he's playing outside back all the time, or if he gets up to first team training, because remember they have Parker there too, right? So there's no rush with Norris because they already have Parker and Farfan in front of him. So this is a project signing in the sense that like they have a couple of years to see which way he breaks before they need to find out, am I ready to move him up to the first team? Has Parker panned out like I think Parker will? Is Farfan still here? Farfan's a former U23 US player, so definitely you know a very capable player. You know, Left side players are hard to find. Left center back, they have a problem. So even if they think Morris is a couple of years as a left back at North Texas and FC Dallas, eventually maybe he's your left center back answer. If he gets a little taller, like if he stays 5'11", no, just outside back. But if he gets as tall as his dad, who from the picture looks like he's about 6'1"-ish, maybe 6'2", uh, then you might be talking about center back. So 18-year-old kid, no rush, plenty of time, right? This is a coach that doesn't want to play you at 15. He wants to wait a little bit, so... We'll see. It'll be interesting. Want to see which way he breaks. Dan, do you have anything to uh, add? I mean, Buzz just overwhelmed us with such incredible homegrown knowledge. You want to attack on anything else with these two? I know. I I say that with all reverence too, because it just blows me away at at the depth. No, I I think, um, you know, if you look at kind of the, the roster as it is right now, albeit, you know, missing a few players, 
Nolan, if you put him at, at centre back, you, and you said Hedges is still an FC Dallas player, uh, right now that puts him centre back four, left back three behind Farfan and Parker. Uh, Scott, likewise, you know he's he's fourth choice uh, striker probably if you count Kamungo as a right wing. If you want to stick him in the nine, maybe that pushes uh, Tariq to to fifth. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the progression is uh, going into the season. Because you know, one thing I think that Peter or Buzz brought up um, on last week's podcast is you know quite often we see in Europe um, or anyone that follows the the FIFA calendar that these guys finish out a season, go to the World Cup, come back. That's a lot of load. They can't really get a good preseason in. They're playing catch up. It makes them more susceptible to injury. Well, that's that's gonna be happening to Jesus Ferrer potentially. He's, you know, he's finished the longest season of his career, uh, certainly the most grueling season of his career, and he's about to go into a World Cup in not the nicest climate, um, not the nicest. <laughs> and condition. it's not gonna get easier for him in that tournament either. No, uh, with a lot of travel. Um, you know, even if he doesn't play a ton, he's still going to be training in that in that heat every day. Um, you know, trying to manage situations, having a long way to travel back. Uh, he's not. You know, he's he's gonna miss a chunk of of the pre. Oh, he's probably going to be recouping for at least the start of that preseason, at least the start of those. You know, those player led camps that that kind of uh, lead us up to preseason. Uh, so you know, maybe there is an opening there for uh, for, for uh, Tariq Scott. Maybe it's a case of uh, Nolan ends up with uh, with North Texas through the year. It'll be kind of interesting to see um, either way what the progression is in that first season. One of the X factors with Nolan specifically is Parker, um, and one of the reasons why I said they were willing to train Ryan Hollis last year was because Parker looked to me to be better than almost any other college player I had seen coming out in three or four years. Now, remember, the college draft has low value these days, especially compared to 15 years ago when your number one pick, particularly like a number three pick, would walk in and start. Well, that that doesn't happen anymore. Parker's a guy converting to left back, so he's learning to play defense, and so he spent the whole year down in North Texas Based on the preseason and the ability I saw, I had hoped that he would get 10 games in there, that they would split some time with Farfan after they traded for him because Farfan ended up having to play every game and like every minute of every game. And late in the season, I thought he started to look like he was wearing down a little bit. You know, I really thought that they should have tried to get Parker back up and get him some games, but he didn't quite get to a point where I felt like that was possible until really late in the season. And then it's the window's kind of sort of running out of time on that. So I still think Parker is a, a very, very interesting player. People, when they drafted him, thought this is a guy that's going to play a year or two and be gone to Europe. So there's going to be some pressure from below towards Farfan this year in terms of like, is Parker ready to come up and start to get some minutes? He is a more offensive guy, so like there, there'll be a change of pace off the bench. Like Nanu weirdly became on the right side. <laughs> and that's where, not a bad thing to have. It, no, no. For When you're talking about a 20-year-old kid and a GA guy, we're going to bring him off the bench as an offensive threat late in games. That's a great thing to have. When you're paying an $800,000 guy 29 years old, that's the bad thing. 
Right. So age matters, <laughs> you know. So the question will be, how ready is Parker to be up with the first team all the time? Can he get into the rotation, or does he start in North Texas again? And now Norris, 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 good lord, Nolan Norris started five games and played ten over the course of last season. So there was playing time for him to be had, both at left back and at left center back. Parker's not playing every minute. So does Parker start the season down there and get five or six games and then comes up and starts to get minutes? And then Nolan's then at left back. Is Nolan going to be the left center back with North Texas? I think because Parker's there, 100% Nolan's going to be down the whole year. I mean, remember, he's 17. He's not graduating until next May, right? This is not a dude that's going to be pressing quick. You know, you want to see him get tons and tons of time. So Parker's the X factor. How soon is Parker up? How soon does he start to give Marco Farfan games off? I would love to see, as much as I like Marco Farfan now, I still want to see him not play 34 games. I want to see that management come in and Parker get minutes because Parker is really, really skillful, and I want to see him start to get time. Yeah, Farfan took some major beatings, showed incredible resiliency of continuing to come back and and you could see there were times late in games where he was dealing with some cramping and and that was just from the the amount of workload that they were giving him and it's i i tell you one of his real strengths was the the ability to withhold and withstand all of that throughout a long mls season but as he starts to get a little bit older you'd like to be able to wane some of that a little bit i think off of take it off his shoulders yeah definitely uh i think my only reservation with Parker is, um, and I haven't seen as many North Texas games as Buzz. He can't really defend very well. He's great getting forward. I think the best performance I saw him in, he played left wing and then eventually played 10 minutes at left back. Um, re- really kind of a struggle getting him back, which is kind of just the, you know, coming off the bench. Okay, that's that's the Nani uh, Emma uh, Emma yep, yep. Uh, trade off. You can call um, him Emo if but you that want. Was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was kind of a position that was forced on Nico rather than one he wanted to have. You know, there. Um, you know, he he does want that defense first player. Uh, that you know, he he's he's definitely a guy that that builds the team from the back that wants a one nil rather than a a four three and. That that's much like Nani. That's that's not what Parker gives you with his with his game. Yeah, the the defensive side definitely does need work. I want him to start the game the season at North Texas, continue to work. There was definitely I thought a moment later in the season where he really progressed, just like Colin Smith did on the other side, where the guys to be those guys both felt like at will they could just torch anyone they wanted getting forward. Again, that's. The old style, though, that's old Lucci ball, that style. So both of those dudes still need to work on their defensive side, which is what this coach wants. Norris is much more this kind of co- player that this coach likes. So again, there's this windows, right? Pressure from top, pressure from bottom. Can you get squeezed out? Can you progress? Can you squeeze out the guy above you? It's all going to be part of the process with these kids over the next couple of years. You know, we're going to find out if Parker and Colin Smith in the spring are ready to press these guys in front of them and start to push pressure and start to get forward and see if they can start to get minutes or if they're going to start the season in North Texas or get pushed out of the team and traded. 
All right. So that is, I think, a great place to wrap up the homegrowns and everything else. The question is, guys, should we go for the third hour and talk about the <laughs> no. things that FC Dallas needs going forward with their roster? Or should we save that for another day? Oh, my gosh. This, this ended up gonna be a quick way one. longer than I thought it was going to be. No, we'll save that for another day. Well, yeah. you have to blame bringing in the radio guy that knows how to fill an empty segment. <laughs> no, I thought that was really good content. It's just that it, there's so many of them that it took longer than I thought. Again, Dallas was ruthless in um, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine dudes got jettisoned, three kept, and two more signed. So that was, was 14 players to talk about in our breakdown. That was a lot. And it's nice to eulogize their time with the club because, you know, they, they're, they are human beings and we do watch them and have positive and negative thoughts. And it's it's kind of nice to, to put a bow in it, or so to speak, to tie one so that you can at least say we've we've covered their career with the the team from Frisco. Well, this is why I, I have said to players before is like you should definitely shouldn't pay attention to the media, whether it's podcasts or what is written <laughs> about you, because we have to be ruthless about these things. And these are people that we know, you know, because we get to talk to them, you know, and you sometimes you feel bad saying such brutal things about a dude, but it's like, this is literally what we're being paid to do and they're being paid to perform and we're going to evaluate that performance. And so sometimes that's hard that when you forget that there are people with families and they're trying to make a career just as anyone else is. Indeed. I, I couldn't agree more because especially from the play by play perspective, it's not my job to tear a player apart especially when you work for the team and not a national broadcast. But at the same time, you have to be really careful not to overdo it in the sense that if you go too far on the, the propping a player up, then you lose the credibility of people watching going, you know, I have eyes, I can see what's going on here. Yeah. So I think it's extremely important to be uh, not cutthroat, but definitely ruthless at times because that Real. is the nature of the profession and, and to, to speak truth when you of what you see because we can all see it right yeah so yeah. If, if you don't say it you're going to lose that credibility really really fast yeah you have to be real your audience isn't stupid they can see it just as well as any rest of us what's happening on the field now we get to go to training which gives us a perspective that they don't get but um you can't snowball your audience forever you know they're gonna they recognize good players and bad players they recognize good play and bad play you know you have to be honest with them uh and we have to be our job is uh, particularly on the outside of, of analysis and podcasting. This is what we do from the, from the beginning, from 1997, when we, when I started this thing, this is what we've done is break down and analyze and, and tear things apart and discuss them, which is fun for us. Can be surely shitty for a player, but such is life, I guess they get paid the big bucks to put up with it, I guess. All right, that's the end of the conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Dan, thanks for being here on your deathbed, getting out of bed and getting on and at least putting a bow on this thing for me. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> you do sound terrible. I'm glad we didn't have to do a full podcast. That would really worn you out. That would have sucked. And this is me off the game, bow. <laughs> All right, well, so next week, uh, this is your Thanksgiving podcast. Hopefully everybody out there had a nice Thanksgiving. Hopefully you got to spend some time with your family. Did you have a good Thanksgiving, Dan? Oh, uh, well, you know, it, it all hinges on the uh, on the England-USA game, so I don't know yet. No, you don't know yet. That's true. Thanksgiving is not particularly an English holiday. I had my Thanksgiving dinner with my family here today on Wednesday when we were recording this little wraparound. So that's true. Friday, Black Friday, they've advertised it enough. USA-England, 
Uh, we will try not to hate each other so much on that day. And that'll that'll be pretty, fun. It'll I be mean, fun. As, as pretty, long as Wales screws up, you know, it's whoever's going to finish first and second in the group, right? Yeah, we'd, we'd love for a, uh, England to stomp Wales in the final game and have Iran maybe tie Wales. That'd be beneficial for the United States. And if the U.S. takes care of their business and manages to do anything at all against England, a tie would be wonderful. I'm not even going to yeah. pretend like I think a win is possible, but you never know. We've beaten England before. We've also got Harry, uh, Harry Maguire in the team, so anything is possible. That's true. And Harry Kane might be out, possibly. I didn't think I saw yeah. precautionary. Third Degree, the podcast, has been brought to you by Soccer 90. The World Cup is underway. Soccer 90 is your place to get all the national team gear of every country you would want. U.S. jerseys, scarves, balls, jackets, all the other teams in the Cup. Well, maybe not all. Half the other teams in the Cup. Uh, if you want to get some good World Cup international gear, Soccer 90 is the place. And if you're a listener to this podcast... 20% off if you use the code third degree at checkout 3RDDEGREE at soccer90.com. All right, we hope you guys enjoyed that uh, episode of Third Degree the Podcast. We will be back with another podcast next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Maybe there'll be some more moves. Maybe it'll be a short one. Insert a whisper here. Go USA. Woo! Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Yes, give the man some motherfucking money.